I hate you. I hate you. I don't even know you, and I hate your guts. I hope all the bad things in life happen to you and nobody else but you. So, so I tried to make this really fancy drink, much fancier than normal. Um, it was going to be many steps. I looked it up online. I had the recipe on my phone. Uh, it was a gin drink. It's winter. I wanted to drink gin, but it's winter anyway. And so I made this drink, and I, it was smelled really good, and I was really excited about it. And I took a sip of it, and it was just really hot gin is the flavor I was getting. <laughs> um, like... Like, hot to the point of, like, at first I thought the problem was just that it was too hot and that that was my issue, but then as it cooled off a little more, I realized that the reason it was hard to, like, inhale, like, that the steam coming off of it was hard to inhale, and it was because it was just so much gin, uh, gin flavor, it was too much gin, it was like serving a glass of gin, like, not, not a small glass, but a lot of gin, <laughs> saying, here's your drink, so- what were the extra steps? Nodding at a bottle of vermouth, oh. waving um, bitters over the glass without actually pouring them in. Thinking no, hard made, about a lemon. <laughs> I, I literally I made cinnamon simple syrup um, that came out well, um, and then you're supposed to add um, bitters at the end, and there's a little bit of lemon juice, um, and that's pretty much it. I, I just tried to make because the recipe was for a small amount, and I tried to make. Uh, double that for my cup. You know, you have to cook the whole thing together in in a pan at the end, and somehow it turned into hot gin. <laughs> Which, it wasn't a bad flavor, it's just I don't really want to drink, like, six ounces of straight gin uh, that's piping hot at this hour. Somewhere Martin Schatzer is nodding his head in right. solemn agreement with you. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in to a the first... 2015 edition of Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam, uh, along with uh, gin fiend Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. Uh, we are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United and many other things soccer. Tonight, we have, uh, as, as you might have gathered from our opening little soundbite, we have a hate-filled edition of the show. We recently had a hate index vote on blackandredunited.com where our readers ranked, collectively ranked, every other MLS team besides DC United in the order in which we despise them. So the the top few teams will not be a surprise, but we're going to count our way down uh, or up, whatever it is. We have a countdown in store for you tonight. We're going to back our way into it. Before we do that, though, Jason, I think it makes sense to start with you here. Right. What are you actually drinking tonight? Uh, I did. Uh, fortunately, I had a very good Plan B on hand. I stopped at the liquor store uh, on my way home. Uh, Flying Fish uh, Breweries uh, released a Grand Cru Winter Reserve um, that I had not heard about, but I picked up as soon as I saw it. Uh, it's a Belgian-style golden ale, um, and they really mean Belgian-style. It's really, really good. Um, a lot of fruitiness, but not like, um, some Belgians are a little too banana flavor for me. Um, this has a little bit of like a clove smell to it as well. It's really, really good. Um, it's got like a purple label and a cardboard, the the holder is like cardboard colored. It's not just made of cardboard. It actually still looks like cardboard. So if you find it, you should grab it. (laughs) 
Ben, what are you drinking tonight? So, I haven't had time to go to the liquor store since uh, New Year's Eve, which was a interesting experience, which involved one person uh, huffing canned air for unknown reasons. What kind of parties do you have in Virginia? Yeah. I, th- I don't know. He was not a friend of ours. He just happened to show up. So stranger, A stranger? A friend of a friend, and he huffed the canned air, and then he passed out in his chair for like two minutes. So <laughs> that That is my understanding of Virginia parties, though. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so he just had to, he had to hold down that role, which is very important. In, in exactly, traditional exactly. Virginia parties, in in the in the Virginia Constitution, there's a little known clause that says there must be a that guy at every party. <laughs> so I haven't had time to go to the liquor store since then. So I'm holding it down. I'm trying to bring you into this uh, brave new year with something of a comfort. Some things do stay the same. Ben does drink Manhattans on filibuster. Our listeners are rejoicing, I'm sure. Yes. Although it's this time... You properly had a Manhattan. I know, and this one is a little different. I have Aztec chocolate bitters instead of Ooh, traditional bitters. And? It's good. It's just a slight heat. of the. I like the chocolatiness. It goes well with a regular Manhattan. Very nice. Knowing that, that we were going to be doing the hate index tonight, I went out and picked up a... Uh, a big bottle of, of Stone's Arrogant Bastard Ale, because we're not going to nice. hate on DC United, and I am fully recognizing that we are being arrogant bastards tonight, and just owning it. And so that is what I am drinking. I'd like to add, before we move on, uh, on New Year's, uh, so my mom was given a bottle of champagne the week before that, but she doesn't drink champagne, it gives her headaches. Um, so she gave it to me, and it was much nicer champagne than Cook's. Um, <laughs> it was Cava, Cava something or other. It was Spanish. And I went over to my friend's house. I took it with me. They were like, oh, this looks really nice. I was like, I don't know. It might be. A, I can't tell you. I, I hope it's better than Cook's. And they were like, what's this Cook's? And I had to tell them about uh, <laughs> me and the bottle of Cook's. And then it turned out to be, like, really excellent to the point where I was like, this is what I've been missing out on all this time with champagne, is that I just was drinking terrible champagne and thus being like, I don't see the point of this. This is a waste of time. Is Maryland the only state that doesn't have cooks? Like, do they just purposefully exclude Maryland from their distribution? No, I got it in Maryland. No, but Cook. Or or no, Corbell. Was Corbell the one you hadn't heard of? No, 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 Corbell was right there. Okay. Uh, Cor- the Corbell and Cooks were next to each other. It was Andre was I was yeah, looking Andre. Uh, where Andre oh, okay. would be, and Cooks was occupying that space somehow, mm-hmm. um, which was strange and, and disheartening. But uh, <laughs> it's Kava something. It had a yellow label. If you enjoy drinking a bunch of champagne, it's a pretty good champagne. And also, before we get to the main mm-hmm. topic, Stone Stone Brewery soon coming. To, their East Coast Brewery is soon yes. coming to Richmond, Virginia. Oh, that's right. So we can all soon be arrogant bastards. Even more so than we already are. Exactly. <laughs> That'll be great. Maybe there'll they'll be more of a representation um, at, at RFK and at eventually at Butters, Buzzard's Point. So. I, th- I think Buzzard Point and uh, the Stone Brewery will probably be opening about the same time. Okay, great. I'll take it. Maybe they should sponsor us. Let's yeah. now put on our haters' hats, as Jason did earlier. Yeah. Um, you guys can't see this, but he put on a, a very silly hat. 
It, I cut my hair. It was cold. <laughs> and Ben is taking it literally and putting on a hat over his headphones because Ben Bromley, nice. ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the Hate Index Countdown. We're actually going to start off off the list a little bit and just have a quick mention of uh, the now defunct Shivas USA, which we excluded from the Hate Hate Index this year because they no longer exist. And there's not really a need to pile on the hate on a team. That how, right. who, could, who could find in their heart any hate for Chivas USA? I'm sure I there mean, are some, but we're not going to dwell on it yeah. tonight. Mm. Instead, we're going to move right on to number 19, second straight year as the least hated team among the DC United fan base, and that is the Vancouver Whitecaps. And I don't think this is because DC United fans like the Whitecaps. I no. think part of it is that geographically they're really far away, and we don't care about them much. The other thing is they're, they're, they don't really have a thing. There's nothing to latch on to with the Whitecaps. They're, they're not really very good ever. They're not really very bad ever. They're just well, kind of there. Well, yeah, and the opposite of hate isn't like. It's apathy, and we just have extreme apathy towards the Whitecaps. And I think, I think that... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it helps that all of our games, because we only get one game a year against them, all of our games have been very, like, uneventful draws. Humdrum, yeah. Um, I think, I think the, actually, last year, I was, I, if I remember correctly, when I was writing the scouting report, I realized that our last game against Vancouver had been, like, 23 months ago or something mm-hmm. like that. So they've also been very... They've been somehow as far apart as possible on top of that. So it's almost like it, we've never played them. Sometimes it feels that way, yeah. Yeah. Apathy, I think, defines not just DC United's view, but everybody's view of the Colorado Rapids, who come in at number 18, second straight year as the second to bottom team. They're a team that we care about even less than the Whitecaps somehow. Um, my notes here say, oh, yeah, they exist. That's how uh, I, I feel like about it, the Rapids. I would like it if we could acquire Dylan Powers from them via some means. Yes, and Dylan Cerna scored a really crazy goal against yes. us last season. And for, some, and for some reason, they still employ Mark Birch. Maybe that's reason to, to hate them. Uh, although, he, again, Mark Birch, is the, at this point, he's been out, out of D.C. United and playing in Western Conference teams for, for long enough that it's like, oh yeah, he's a thing. Also, we should hate them a little more than the Whitecaps just for the 2010 MLS Cup. That's true. They, they, we, we can hate them more because you have to remember that they exist because they did win an MLS Cup <laughs> under Gary Smith. Yes. Yes. Uh, next up on our countdown, uh, RSL at number 17. I think this is because this is actually... Uh, some kind of admiration for some of these, for some some of the voters on this, because RSL has been good for a long time. They're probably the best, the team with the best history in recent years. They're the first one with a good history, I guess, to come up, um, at least a recent history of success. Last year they were number fourteen. They were higher on the the hate index, and in, in, at the end of twenty thirteen they've moved down the list this year. Uh, ben, why do you think that is? That that they come in so well in our voting. I'm not really sure. I think, at least personally, I've had a lingering dislike for them, mostly because of the 
apoplexy that they were thrust into uh, with the Charlie Davies dive in 2011 and how they never let that go and were just brazenly upset about it until uh, even after uh, one of their players, I think it was Saburio, uh, got got suspended similarly for a dive that same season when MLS decided to crack down on diving. Well, that was the year that Davies got fined. For the his yes. dive, yes, and and then the league said we're going to come down hard on the next one to do it, and the next one to do it was Saborio, and he got fined and suspended. And right. So RSL fans felt hard done. They felt like the precedent had been set, and it really right. hadn't but, been. And and yes, Charlie Davies. I'm not defending Charlie Davies' dive. No. It was a blatant dive, but just the reaction on Twitter, the the apoplexy that they went into just soured me on them for a while. But I think enough time has passed. I voted I voted to uh, I voted non hate on them this year. So maybe it's some of that. Um, they do play nice soccer, although maybe some of that's fading without uh, Jason Kreiss or and now probably without uh, Garth Lagerway. So Yeah we'll, we'll see, see I think they have another year or two under Kassar of of good soccer before we'll see how their next GM does Jason, how much of this do you think is DC United fans feeling just a little bit guilty for the U.S. Open Cup title last season or in, in 2013, which was of course at RSL? And so maybe we're like, we can't hate them. Look, they've already been through so much. I mean, I would hope that no one feels any guilt at all over that game uh, <laughs> because screw those guys. It was a trophy on the line, and it's ours now. Um, well, but, we also uh, know that we we also know that you you will take the opportunity to say screw those guys about any team. Yeah, pretty in much. the world that's uh, not DC United. Right, um, but uh, I will say that maybe maybe they're not at the bottom just because. I mean, there's the aesthetic thing that's going to get them a lot of not hate around the league. Um, but on the other hand, there's a certain amount of brittleness there. It's not just with the mm-hmm. diving issue, but in general. Um, RSL fans are very quick to be aggrieved. And, I mean, soccer fans everywhere are very quick to be aggrieved, but RSL is faster than, than normal. Um, and, and there's a certain uh, shakeability, I guess, of, of their, their fans at home. They're very easily made nervous, and you can, you can tell when you're watching them play at, at Rio Tinto. When, they've got, when they're nervous, it's very obvious, and their fans are very quick to be... Uh, just sort of, you can sense the nervousness in the stadium, and and that's not really a a good sign. As I would imagine that I'm not the only person in soccer fandom that is sort of like um like they say animals can smell fear and they they don't like it. It makes them more upset. Um, RSL fans, it's very easy to to smell when they're afraid. Um, and, and there's something that there's some lack of respect, I guess, that comes with that. That might be why they're not. Where Vancouver is, because they don't—they have a better aesthetic side than Vancouver or Colorado does. Um, especially Vancouver, having spent most of their time under uh, Martin Rennie and his uh, "How many defensive midfielders can I fit on the field?" plan. Um, so, I still so think I think he had a bet with Jurgen Klinsmann early in Klinsmann's tenure with the U.S. national team to see who could figure out a way to shoehorn more defensive oh, midfielders. He has run away with that one. He has. Um, he took Martin that into heart. He's now in. He's now coaching in South Korea, and I'm sure there's there's some guy there now that can't believe he's seeing six defensive midfielders play at the same time. But <laughs> that is Martin Rennie soccer, uh, so he, that guy better get used to it. 
Yes, only one guy as well in a country of many million, many million people. Like just one person is like, really? Another one? And I bet you Skype with him every weekend. <laughs> that one guy. You and he just uh, commiserate over having to play against Martin Rennie. We don't have anything else to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have anything else in common, including language, no. strangely. Right. Next up on the list, a team that is held in similar regard to RSL. They were 12th last year because we had some visitors from Sounder at Heart, SB Nation's Seattle Sounder side come and vote hate on this team. They're, of course, the Portland Timbers. They they come in at 16 this year. Um, and and my notes for them actually say they wish they were RSL. They have great supporters. They just wish they'd had as m- much success at R- as RSL, which, to be clear, is one trophy in their history. And and a couple of good runs to finals, but, but, but only I, but one I, piece of hardware to actually show for it. But I was told that Jason Kreiss was the most successful coach in MLS history. Yeah, you were told that by uh, somebody who didn't do any research <laughs> right. before writing a story. Um, Caleb Porter's obviously a very talented coach. He's at the levels higher than college. He hasn't been able to find any consistency, be it with the U.S. under-23 team, be it with uh, the Timbers. He had a great first season last year, obviously. But this year has, or in 2014, fell off quite a bit. Um he, he doesn't seem to like having center backs who know how to defend, which makes things fun. It's hard to hate that. It makes things fun to watch and fun to play against them. Uh, but in, in the Timbers Army is obviously fantastic. They're difficult to hate, especially when they show up on Portlandia singing, meow, 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 please, please win. How can you hate that? So I'm not surprised that they are down fourth from the bottom in our hate index at all. Um. I don't know. They play on turf. There's a reason to hate them. They play on turf. Screw those guys. Uh, Merrick Wilson is sometimes outspoken yeah. on Twitter. Again, he, he I like that. Things. Well, there's being outspoken, like Rob Heineman, for example, is outspoken on Twitter. Um, Merrick Paulson often betrays his uh, newness to the game. That's true. Uh, but but he, he himself... Uh, works under the assumption that he knows more than just about anyone just because he gets to talk to uh, Caleb Porter on a regular basis. Um, but talking to a soccer-knowledgeable person doesn't instantly... It, it doesn't just, like... You can't catch it like uh, the flu uh, or the plague. Um, you, you have to actually internalize some of that stuff, and I don't know that he necessarily internalizes that. He claimed that uh, Portland was the... Um, the the best team in the CONCACAF Champions League from MLS and the most prepared for it, and yet his team is did not go through against a pretty average Olympia um, from Honduras. So clearly uh, there's a certain level of um, maybe not understanding exactly where their limitations are in Portland. Um, since, like you said, Adam, they, they can't defend. Um, even in their good season, it was entirely based on midfield pressure and possession and attacking threat. Um, that hid their defense. Um, when they have to defend, they're bad. And that kind of indicates to me that maybe Caleb Porter isn't the amazing coach that people say he is because if you're an amazing coach, you can get your team to defend. And thus far, they they can't really do that. Part of it is just bad players, but part of it is, I mean, plenty I mean, of teams... spent designated player money on a center back who right. is better at scoring goals than he is at defending. 
I think some of this is a player recruitment oh, yeah. and selection thing by right. the entire organization. They just don't care about defending. But but at a certain point, your your job when you're acquiring defenders is to acquire guys that can actually do the job. As as we learned, um, contrasting 2013 with the guys we have for 2014. Next on the list is a team that dropped five spots since last year in our hate index. We stopped hating them as much. They were top 10 last year. Now they're down to 15. And I think the big reason is because they suck now. They were really bad this year, and that's the San Jose Earthquakes. They, thankfully for them, are moving into a new stadium, which is going to be interesting, named Avaya Stadium or something like that. How very Silicon Valley has a computer-generated pattern on the seats. How very Silicon Valley. They're a provider of solutions. How very Silicon Valley. I mean, I, I feel like San Jose is just... Next thing you know, they're going to be bussing fans from San Francisco for their games. They're going to have tailgate parties at bars in San Francisco, and they're going to bus people on Google buses down to their stadium in the South Bay. Driverless Google buses. Which run over pedestrians sometimes. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> um, they do Sounds have... just like Earthquakes fans. <laughs> there you go. It'll be perfectly normal. Like, oh, good, great. This is who we are. Yeah, I, I mean, they they have Dominic Kinnear going into next year, so presumably they'll end up making the playoffs somehow because Dom Kinnear never misses the playoffs. They'll probably sneak into that sixth spot, which is going to be a wild card next year because we can't not expand the playoffs in MLS. So, you know, that's that's good. They're going to keep another. Western Conference team from making the playoffs, but and then they'll probably make a run to MLS Cup where they will lose because that's Dom Kinnear's recent pattern when he doesn't have game breakers like Landon Donovan or D Rowe or Brian Ching, you know, people who are real names in MLS. He doesn't really win much. He almost wins, but then he stops. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting that that. They've got Tommy Thompson, who could be totally awesome in the right hands, but first they were the Frank Yallop Quakes uh, with their flying elbows and their leaping in the air and, and soccer not being played on the ground at all. Um, and now Dominic Kinnear is coming in, who would prefer a little more on the ground, but not much. Um, and I'm sure he's already informed the, the groundskeeper to uh, keep the lines as close together as possible. Um, yeah. Because that's how good soccer gets played. Yeah, they're going to be a lot easier to hate after this year, I think. <laughs> the Quakes. Probably. They're going to be. Mean, they've still got. They've still got Lenhart, um, who uh, by himself probably pushed them up above uh, a couple teams. Um, yep. And, uh, and most of the rest of their players are actually not that hateable now that Alan Gordon is gone. Yeah. Um, but still, it's Stephen Lenhart. Um, that's a, that's a hard one to get around. So we turn our attention now to FC Dallas, who moved up a spot from last year, from 15th to 14th. I'm not entirely certain why, because they were actually a darn likable team last year. Um, they they played a fun brand of soccer and and used a lot of speed, and speed is always fun to watch, I think, and they weren't you know a dirty team by any means, unlike some other teams higher up the list. But they, they move up a spot to 14. Um, 
the biggest thing I can think of to hate FC Dallas at this point is that they are the ones that lost to Colorado in that 2010 MLS Cup, which means it's their fault we have to remember that Colorado won an MLS Cup. So Dallas, that that's that's the best reason I have to hate Dallas. That and they're bad at actually doing anything with the homegrown players that they sign, which is about 100 at this point. They just passed on one today. They're letting him enter the draft instead of signing him. Oh, well, him. Yes. The, uh, the guy from North Carolina? Yes, I believe yes. so. Boyd um, Longo, I think is his name. Okuonu. Okuonu. There's no G. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, uh, That's pretty close. They, the la- in the last like year and a half, they've actually stopped being the like homegrown player uh, dummy Um where everyone assumes their academy is doing awesome just because they keep having homegrown players, but no one notices that none of those players ever play or do anything. They just get cut after a year um, or get loaned out because they're waiting for their year to go up so they can cut them. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess the one other thing, and I know uh, our, our sometimes uh, our fill-in guy, Ryan Kiefer, um, was very big on this at the, at, towards the end of the season – Dallas has a long history of getting a lot of red cards um, and losing losing control um, emotionally, and that didn't stop. Then you know, Shellis Hinman left, Oscar Pereja came in, and, and if anything, that sort of um, loosened up because uh, Shellis Hinman used to talk about emotional intelligence all the time. He tried to get his players to calm down. It didn't work, obviously, but he tried. Uh, whereas Oscar Pereja has a coach, his one of his coaches was suspended for a game for shoving somebody on top of the number of players they had red carded this year. So there is that. There's a certain uh, violent edge, I guess. They don't play dirty, but when they get angry, they they lash out a little too much. They got a red card against DC United in their one match this year. Yeah, and it was it was at a time when it seemed like refs were looking the other way on some hard challenges. And yeah. I remember writing an article about how it was nice to see a referee give a red card when a red card was warranted, <laughs> um, even in a physical game. Um, right. Yeah, I I guess Michelle, their 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 defensive midfielder, and they have their defensive midfielders especially have a history of being hotheads who who will occasionally decide that they just need to injure somebody. And, right. and Michelle, despite his wonderful free kicks, which can be sublime at times, he he's kept that tradition alive for them. Right. Someone's got to do it. Yeah. All right, moving up. A debutante on our list is next. Coming in at number 13 with their debut come the fighting Purple Lions of Orlando City Soccer Club. Uh, they are an expansion team coming into the league next year, and I think our own Ben Bromley has some thoughts on that. I'm just going to tell you all right now, you are sleeping on how hateable this team is. They are easily top 10, if not top 5, hateable in MLS. Looking at, Especially looking at the teams who are further up. I mean, I th- I, well, maybe not top 5, they could, but they could easily nestle in at like 6 or 7. No problem. They were easily the most hateable team in USL Pro, and there's some hateable teams in USL Pro too. Don't get me started on like the Rochester Rhinos or anything. Um, but they had their supporters group suspended for attacking a child. 
They attacked a child in a friendly against an NASL team. There are Steelers fans who, who right now who listen to the show who are saying, all right, respect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are just the worst. They have an arrogance that is unparalleled. Do you remember they what I'm drinking tonight? I'm okay with arrogance. No, but I mean, it's a. It, at least DC United has a tradition upon which the arrogance has been built. Okay. It, they stole their team from Austin and then had the bad fortune for the rest of us of being good for the their first two seasons uh, in uh, in New US All Pro. All right. So I will say that they they have an underdeveloped sense of irony because they they did buy the Austin Aztecs and move them to Orlando and rename them. And then when they got to MLS, the hashtag they used to try to diss um, NYCFC was built, not bought hashtag built, not bought. And it's, it's funny because not only did they obviously pay the expansion team to buy the expansion fee to buy their way in to MLS. They also literally bought the team from somewhere else and moved it. Exactly. So, if you're if you're from Austin, and I know we have uh, some people, some DC United fans who have moved to Austin that that I'm that that I I'm friends with, they obviously have reasons to hate. Everyone from Austin, oh, yes. has reasons to hate Orlando City. Um, no, but but I'm just telling you, wait for the arrogance. Just wait for it. It is undeserved and newly bought, and you'll just revile it. And please come and join me. In your hatred for Orlando City Soccer Club, at least they at least they're a soccer club that gets them a few points off in my book, but not very many. Jason, anything to add on Orlando City, or should we just leave this one to Ben? Uh, I would just add that I really hope that some of their fans end up uh, being posted on the Florida Man Twitter account <laughs> or Florida Woman, because <laughs> there are both. Um, but I, I do hope. Uh, I believe the one that was up today was. Uh, uh, Florida man refuses arrest and when forced to give his name, uh, says his name is, uh, his first name is uh, Bill of Rights and his last name is Constitution. Um, <laughs> so that's that's the kind of fan I hope they have because I, see I MLS, imagine see what you're doing. The the dumbness that might that, that might occur would be pretty funny to watch. The the Florida man headline I saw today was man accused of organizing. Deadly roach eating game slaps employee in the face with a lizard. <laughs> right, Florida man. Uh, Florida man is. And Orlando a, is the capital of Central Florida, which, is, as anyone that's been to Florida knows, is a lot different from the coast. Um, if you go about five miles off of the ocean on any side of, or the Gulf of Mexico on the on the west side, uh, you enter a different place. Uh, it's sort of like. Um, in Maryland, if you drive out to the, like the Maryland Panhandle in the mountains, it's like a completely different state. Except uh, this state has Florida man running all over the place. And, and for the record, Florida is where bath salts and eating people while high on bath salts. I'm pretty sure that's where they originated. They ate somebody's face. That was in Miami, but close enough. I mean, it's all Florida. Florida? Today. We'll we'll save that for the the um, uh, Miami Beckhams when they. Uh, Never come into play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they never, never come into play. Uh, but we'll we'll pretend that they're going to still, and we'll talk about how their fans will eat each other's faces when when it's time. And th- their first signing is also going to be Frank Lampard. <laughs> we'll get to that coming up because <laughs> NYCFC is actually pretty high on the list. 
Uh, next up, though, is is kind of the polar opposite of of Florida, a land that is called the most European city in North America, where aging Italian gentlemen sit around at cafe tables on the soccer field and drink cappuccino and leer at young women wearing miniskirts riding Vespas. This, of course, only happens at Stade Saputo in Montreal, where the Montreal Impact play, and they come in at number 12 on our list. And I'm surprised they're not higher uh, only because of one person. One person makes them worth probably three spots in my estimation on the hate index, and that is Felipe Martins, who still plays for the Montreal Impact, and therefore they should be hated by more. Yeah, I, I, that's pretty much it, though, with them. Um, I guess you can sort of hate Frank Klopas, but even that's just sort of like, well, he's sort of incompetent, so it's best that he's coaching somebody in our conference. Um, they were at least entertaining when they had Marco Schellebaum. Not on the field, right. but on the often, side. Marco often Schellebaum giving himself sent off. Yeah, he got <laughs> sent off and suspended like five times in a year. It was outstanding. Right. Um but, but yeah, I mean, there's just not much there. Um, Justin Mapp has has played well the last couple of years. Um, Marco DeVaio was was there's nothing really to hate about Marco DeVaio. No. Um, uh, their defenders are usually, I, I guess, Hasun Kamara is, is a little hateable just because he's often committing egregious fouls that could injure somebody. Um, but he, he it's always seems like clumsiness from him rather than anything else. So it's not even like wow that guy is just reckless and and uh, doesn't think about his fellow player with any sort of respect. It's just like, that guy's an oaf. Uh, he, I will say their primary himself. uniforms are dumb. Oh, yeah, yeah, this one, this one should be all you, shouldn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Their primary uniforms yeah. are really dumb. They are exactly like the old Wizards uniforms or the old Earthquakes uniforms. They are just this lighter shade of, not, not even sky blue, just a tealish shade of blue that has some pattern of Florida Lee embossed on them. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole shirt. And then the Don't same color. The stripes. Yeah, Adidas stripes on the shoulders. <laughs> and then the same color blue for their shorts and their socks. There's no need to be unich- unichrome, monochromatic there. Um, but they have this third kit that's outstanding that's you know, yes, it's very similar to Inter Milan's uniforms, but there are only so many ways to put a soccer uniform together, and it looks really sharp in the version that they have in Seattle or in in Montreal. And for some reason, it's their third uniform and not their first, and it's really stupid. And Joey Saputo up- has said stupid things before, but you've been upset about this for a while, like going on three years now. It's a really easy, obvious thing, and they just keep not fixing it. I'm pretty sure it's just to annoy me. I will say that that is their they wear that as their home jersey for the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, yeah, I mean it's like their cup shirt, right? Um, and they, they also they wear it sometimes wear it. against sometimes they wear it against DC United to force United to wear their their right. second kit, right? Like they 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 use it the way the Redskins wear white at home sometimes, just to make everyone else throw everyone off their game just a little bit by wearing just, something they're not used to in I that thought, situation. I thought NFL teams only change shirts just to get you to buy more shirts. Well, th- there are 
two teams, I think, in the NFL, the Cowboys and the Redskins, who always try to wear white at home. Okay. Because in every other team wears their, their colored shirt at home, um, which is more traditional in the NFL, and white is the road color, except Dallas and, and Washington. Wait, so the Colts don't wear uh, blue at home? They wear white at home? No, they wear blue the at other home. Way around? They wear oh, blue they at home. Okay. Yeah, but the Redskins don't wear burgundy at home. They wear white. Right. And And... Some of that is so the only time they wear burgundy really is when they play the Cowboys okay. in Dallas, or when they have like a throwback game. But yeah, basically the impact uniforms are dumb and they should change them. <laughs> Next up, another Canadian team um, that's almost not worth hating because they just are so damn incompetent. No matter, and they keep finding more spectacular ways to fail. Uh, it's Toronto FC, the Reds, coming in at number 11, uh, actually up two spots from last year. They were number 13 last year, actually less hateable than Montreal. So somehow Montreal has Felipe and gets less hateable. Go figure. Meanwhile, Toronto finds ways to fail with Michael Bradley and Jermaine Defoe and poor old Gill, and they they move up the list. Go figure. He's going to get that brass ring someday. Someday. Poor old Gill. Uh, so, I guess with Toronto, it it must be a financial related uh, hate. This must be a, a classist sort of thing. Um, that's why they would move up because they clearly just spent so much more money this year. Um, maybe there's a little jealousy since we don't get to spend anything near that much money, and yet you know we're able to do all right. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, they also I fired. DC United alum Ryan Nelson partway through the season, which I did predict right. before the season started. I said he would be fired. But, he wouldn't last the year. But they probably shouldn't have just hired him off of the playing field. They should have found an experienced head coach, but they, you know... Yes, that's correct. Toronto. But they like, did um, get worse after they fired him. An experienced head coach yes. like Greg Vanny? <laughs> he has at least been a coach of a team uh, uh, as an assistant. Chief and us, also Chief, had Chief worse us. results. Chivas USA veteran Greg well, Vanny. I will say, well, also DC United veteran uh, Greg Vanny. Um, but uh, I will say that I feel like Toronto would have fallen off the way they did, regardless of whether Nelson was there or not. Um, that was a team that became psychologically broken over time, and that meant that they were never going to recover. Like any any coach could have taken the reins of that team, and they would have still been terrible the last ten games as they as they were with Vanny or or with Nelson, or with anyone. Like, Bruce Arena could have walked in there, and it would have been like, this is intractable. These people are idiots, um, other than two or three of the players. Well, maybe they were more hateable this year just because they were the very... They were like the platonic ideal of a TFC season. Just everything going so badly. Right. Uh, All the expectations are ramped up higher than ever, and yet uh, they still managed to TFC it up. Exactly. I feel bad. I, I feel bad for their fans more than anything oh, else. Of it makes it hard course. to to really hate them very much. I don't. Um, hate, yeah, I don't hate them at all. Yeah. I just feel pity. I can't even. I can't even think of any players for Toronto that are particularly unlikable. Um, they've got some guys that are like incompetent, but that's not necessarily something you hate on. It's just like, oh, that guy's dumb. Why? Why do you have him? Why do you keep playing him? Um, there might be. I mean, there's certainly some shot in Freud being called hate here. Okay. Sure. Because because it's fun to root against TFC because it's just, oh, how can they lose this week? 
it's it's like its own little special form of entertainment. Okay. It also might be something. You want to see? You want to see how? It's like a sitcom. You you want to see how they're going to solve the problem this time around, or like any sort of uh, police procedural that I don't watch, but I'm aware that they all wrap up after one hour. Um, yeah, it, no, it's more. Like, it is, gets it's more like it's always sunny fails. in Philadelphia. It's how can they fail this week? Okay. How can they? Okay. How can they be horrible and lose this week, despite having every advantage in the world? just placed in front of them, how can they trip over a bar that's so low it's impossible not to clear? They are pretty excellent at that. Without ever having it, they never have to change is the thing. Um, yeah, it's it's a thing of It beauty. just keeps being... Uh, th- though I do I do think eventually those characters are going to end up dead, but that's a different thing. I don't think Toronto FC is going to die. <laughs> no, probably not. I think I think another part of it for from the DC United fan standpoint is there's some anger, I think, at TFC generally for ginning up a Rookie of the Year campaign for Nick Hagland, who, yes, started a lot of games on a team with an awful defensive core. And and for a while, he was actually ahead of Steam Burbaum, and I think there's some bitterness among some fans about that, directed I, at Nick Hagland, who doesn't deserve any bitterness. He he was, yeah. a, he was a completely serviceable rookie who has a career ahead of him in MLS. He wasn't as good as Steam Burbaum, and by the end of the season, most people realize that, but... But I think there might be something Nick Hagland flavored about this as well. I, I would I would I would like to point out that I feel like that's not um, Toronto FC's fault. I don't think they did anything to make that happen. I think that was uh, MLSsoccer.com. Unfortunately, had a couple people uh, that write the Rookie of the Year um, stories, I guess, um, and several of them ended up being like, "Oh, Nick Hagland's playing awesome, you guys!" And it's like, that, "Have you watched him for like the last?" Three months. It's not really that awesome. They're Toronto. He's one of their defenders. They defend as they do. Um, this is kind of straightforward. It, it it was one of those things where it was it was baffling um, how long that hung on. But I don't think that was Toronto's fault or Nick Haglund's fault. It's just I guess people just weren't watching DC United at the time. I don't know. Yeah, and it was funny because as much of a reputation as DC United had for having a, a defensive setup in 2014. Toronto FC's entire system was counterattack based. They were yes. they weren't pragmatic. They were ide- they they were a system team and that system was defend with everybody except Jermaine Defoe and then counterattack. And Nick Hagland somehow was not penalized for that the same way some people I know from talking to them penalized Birnbaum for playing on a team that had a quote defensive setup. Anyway, into the top 10 Next on our list, Columbus Crew SC, no longer the Columbus Crew. Um, I think that is reason enough to hate them, changing, having a definite article and then saying, no, you're not allowed to use it anymore. It's completely different than never having a definite article. What happened to the three guys in their batch? Are they just now unemployed? Central Ohio needs those jobs, Columbus Crew. (laughs) The village people need work too, damn it. I, I will say I generally like the rebrand. I just think the idea that we shouldn't call them the crew anymore is kind of silly. I mean, I'm still going to call them the crew. Yeah, I, I'm I think everybody not is. going to change that. Crew um, SC. I, I'm no better. I'm glad that no. they are. I'm glad that they added SC, but I'm not going to add SC every single time I talk about them, or even. Any time I talk about them, they are still going to be the crew, and that's that. Um, yeah, I don't have I to listen even... to Central Ohio. I'm on the coast. 
I've gotten to the point now where I actually I prefer SC to FC, obviously. But if given the choice, I would take neither is over either of them. Yeah. I, I would rather have no suffix and just call your team what it is, DC United or Columbus Sporting, Crew. Sporting Club de Columbus. No, just Columbus Crew. Just go with Columbus Crew the way they always have. Are they French? <laughs> you ever do Columbus? <laughs> they're German. They're, they're D, they, they should be D Crew. Das Crew. Das Crew. <laughs> and, yeah, other than that, I mean, they, they actually played really good soccer this year. And and for that reason, I think they moved down. They were number eight last year on our list. They're down to number 10 this year. So they are less hateable in 2014 than they were in 2013. So that's to their credit. Um, they just signed Federico Iguain. Uh, let me say that again. Federico Iguain to a new contract who makes him their their highest paid player in their history. So good for them locking down the critical piece of their attack. I, I don't know. They, I, they're a team that there's a historical reason to hate because they're a fellow 96er with DC United, and so there's history there and reason to not like them over the course of the last 20 years. But as far as recent history goes, and, and this particular iteration of them... They're not as hateable as some other teams. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, I, I mean, there's a certain um, over over exuberance around the country uh, towards Will Trap, uh, who, if you listen to the right people, Will Trap is apparently the best soccer player in human history. Uh, this is false. Um, in case you were in case you're one of those people, I'm, I hate to inform you, but you were incorrect um, in in your your guessing of Will Trap's greatness. Um, but it's not just that, you know. Tony Chani's kind of a jerk. Um, he he kind of uh, complains and, and runs around and kicks people a lot. Um, so that's something. Um, I will say they have fans else. who are wannabe hooligans. They come on road trips yeah, and true. set off smoke bombs in the RFK bathroom and put stickers all over the metro for no reason whatsoever. I mean, when that's they not visit so much DC, hateable. That's like, that's like. Uh, I remember my first beer too, guys. Um, that's one of those where you know it's like you, just oh, wanna, you don't even want to like yell at them. You just want to pat them on the head, like they're there. Um, maybe you should go home. Yeah, it's and, like uh, maybe you know, maybe don't attach your name to your Twitter account if you're going to put this photo of you breaking right. the law on Twitter. And you know you really do want to graduate from Ohio State before you you get arrested, right? Okay, go go Probably. do better. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's more of a pity, do better I, sort of thing. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anyone else there. There's not really um I, I guess they deserve some credit for getting all that money for Giancarlo Gonzalez, who when he was in MLS looked like a pretty good center back, but not a guy you would pay seven figures for. But the World Cup does some crazy things and, and they happen to have him at the right time, so I guess good for them. Um we'll we'll see if they keep getting better or if uh this was all kind of an illusion. They don't really have a striker, um which is kind of something to hate a little bit just because you you watch all the other players they've gotten and they're running uh, Aaron Schoenfeld or uh, Adam Bedell up front. And it's it's kind of – there's a part of me that hates that just because it's kind of sad. Like you should be able to do better than that. For As an MLS team, there's no excuse to have that those two as your striker options. It's, it's ridiculous. 
that's really the last team we're going to say. There's not a whole lot that's hateable about them. Right. We're now into our top yeah. nine. And this one, Jason, is all you, buddy. Sporting Kansas City holds, holds Pat at number nine uh, both years, which is lower than I thought they'd be in either of them. But I guess it's not that surprising when you see the teams that are ahead of them. So, Jason, your thoughts right. on the Sporks. I'm guessing they're this low because there's still an element of people buying the the Vermes idea of what attacking soccer and, and aesthetically pleasing soccer is. Um, people buy into that, even though a lot of times what that means is uh, playing the ball in the air, um, throwing elbows, uh, attempting to injure your fellow your fellow opponent, um, which is not how you're supposed to play. You're supposed to show some respect for for one another. Um, Peter Vermes uh, is very quick to complain about any physical contact uh, that is negative towards Sporting Kansas City, even legal physical contact. Um, he will be complaining as if his player was punched in the face, uh, whereas if his player punches someone in the face, and even, even if it's just a foul called, he will be baffled, uh, genuinely confused as to why punching someone in the face is called, considered a foul. Um, so, so there's a lot of unnecessary and immoral physicality from, from Kansas City. They go over the line, but they enthusiastically go over the line uh, as far as that goes. Uh, they're also not as attractive to watch as people make them out to be. I mean, Benny Philhopper's really good. Graham is obviously really good. Um, some of their, a few of their other players, uh, when they had Uri Rozelle, they were, they were a much more attractive team than they had been in the past, but he left in the middle of last season. Um, and Even Roger Espinoza only really had one good year of playing positive soccer and not headhunting. Right, um, which is good for him um, that he learned that maybe going around trying to kill people wasn't necessarily the best way to win at soccer. Um, but uh, it was kind of fun to watch them uh, not have a backup plan when injuries started to eat away at their, their healthy players and all of a sudden... Uh, they were sending out the zombie corpse of Matt Beasler uh, and asking him to run around and, and think when his body and his mind were clearly just gone. And he um, moved about like a zombie for most of the post-World right. Cup season. I mean, I like Matt Beasler, but watching watching Kansas City with him with him so physically exhausted, watching them completely have no... There's, there was no other idea. It was like, well, let's just keep doing what we've been doing and... Uh, it won't work, and it's so physically demanding that it can't possibly get better, but we're going to keep trying it anyway because we actually don't have any other plans because we're not really that well-led, it turns out. Um, P- Peter Vermes is an awesome GM. You have to give him that because you yeah. look at their roster, and they're, they're stacked with talent. Um, they The injuries, you know, they weren't muscle injuries a lot of times. I mean, Ike Opara had his ankle, like, somehow disassembled via a... Uh, be a foul that actually he got kicked by somebody and it was called a foul was called on him and his season ended um, as a result. It was clearly not a foul on him. It was sort of a a summation of an unlucky team. But uh, it was like the reverse of Chris Pontius in what right. was it, 2011, when right, against Chivas against Chivas USA when he went in late on a, a tackle, broke his leg in the process, and the other yes. guy got a red card. Yeah. which he probably didn't deserve. And Chris Pontius, I talked to him a year later, and he said, yeah, I thought at the time that he was crazy going in on that, and then I saw the replay, and I was like, oh, crap, that was on me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, you know, so there's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of arrogance about Kansas City that that hasn't really been earned over the years. They've got two MLS cups, uh, which is nice, I guess, for uh, and only one of them in, in their current kind of right um, of history. There's all this there's all this talk about Kansas City being this tremendous soccer city, and it's like, do you guys remember like four years ago? Four years ago, they were playing at Community America Ballpark. Um, that was not long ago. It, it's it. We shouldn't forget that this used to be a town in which uh, all of these brand new uh, fans weren't there, and the fans that were there weren't loud and weren't engaged. So um, this isn't uh, Soccer City USA as they would love to be known as. They just they built a really nice stadium and their team is a winner. But let's see what happens. The first year of sporting Kansas City isn't is clearly not going to be in the playoff chase. Let's see how loud and excited those fans get because they are. All, like RSL, there's a real brittleness about Kansas City's fans where they're they're a lot like Peter Vermes. They think every single foul should go their way. They don't really understand what's going on um, a lot. There's a lot of times where they applaud for things that they shouldn't really be applauding, um, whereas their own players are, you know, Aurelian Collin with both elbows hitting two players at once somehow. Although um, he's now an Orlando City player. Right, which... which uh, will add to Ben's argument, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> exactly. But uh, but but that that's the kind of thing that they would they would be like, oh, that's perfectly fine. But then if it happens to their player, uh, the the fans are trying to like burn the stadium down out of in uh, outrage, and so you can't have it both ways. You can't play the way you want to play, and that you seem to like playing, but then also be so easily upset by the most minor physical contact. Um, Beating them uh, three nothing uh, this past season was maybe the single most satisfying result of the entire year, and I'm including uh, the two wins over the Red Bull or three wins over the Red Bulls. Obviously, the one didn't really feel like a win at all. Um, but just because it was it was so nice to watch them get dismantled after all of their uh, bravado and all of their uh, the hype that comes with Sporting Kansas City, the the attention they get even when they were not very good. Uh, for a lot of the year, it was still the assumption was still like, oh, they're Kansas City, they'll be great. Um, and it was really fun just saying that they're really not that good, um, especially once they're no longer able to smash you in the face with an elbow, uh, which somehow doesn't. They, every Kansas City game should end with them with ten men or less, and somehow it never happens. Uh, which is, you know, maybe MLS referees should be on this list as well. There you go. We'll see where they would end up. Well, top they, three they probably. Have- they have an honorary spot uh, above the number one team. They're the zero okay. on the list. Uh, next up is a team that I think would have been higher six, seven years ago. They would have been right near the very, very top. But they had a period of utter incompetence, and since they've come back to relevance, they've actually been a pretty attractive team to watch and not particularly hateable. The days of nickelball are gone. Uh, in New England, and, and of course I'm talking about the Revolution, who actually did move down a spot, despite being pretty good this year, from 7 to 8 on our list. Um, I, I will say reasons to hate them include Nickelball in their history, which was was as close to quote-unquote anti-football as any team has ever gotten on a regular basis in, in MLS, and it always got them to MLS Cup, where they always lost. Um which happened again this year, even without Nickelball, so go figure. That was probably because of something called Blind Draw, which was their team MVP this year, and when your team MVP is Don Garber's Blind Draw, there's there's reason to question your likability. Um, 
And then there's, of course, the concrete turf that they play on, which is one of the worst surfaces in all of world soccer. I'm not exaggerating. The turf at Gillette Stadium is truly, truly awful. It is worse than the field on rec fields in D.C. It is really, really bad. Other than that, they're a perfectly likable bunch. I actually do like a lot of the players they have, but there's there's good reasons to root against the Revs. You forgot Matt Reese, who is, by all accounts, a lovely human being off the field, but is a ridiculous, zombie-like, Frankenstein-esque monster on the soccer field. A, a tiny, short, Frankenstein-esque monster. Well, yes, exactly. But still. <laughs> yeah. You guys have left out the, the two words that make the Revs extremely hateable, and he's still there. Jay Heaps. Insurance uh, broker himself. We can, we can never forget or forgive Jay Heaps for his actions as a New England Revolution player, uh, which basically just included constantly trying to kick Jaime Marino to death um, over and over again forever. He, he didn't contribute any positive to soccer as a, as a player, uh, which is why watching the Revs play with him as a coach is very bizarre. because He's trying played, to make up for it. Right. If they played like Jay Heaps, the player, uh, they would have knives or like rat, like a board with a nail in it. Um, and, and you would tell them, no, it's a soccer game, not a fight. Uh, we're not having a brawl. We're having a soccer game. They would not understand you. It would be a communication gap that would never be bridged. <laughs> number seven on our list. Down from number five last year, another historical team that I think fans that have followed United for longer would probably have a little higher on their list, and that is the Chicago Fire, who, of course, were the first team to ever deny D.C. United an MLS Cup title in 1998. They have won more U.S. Open Cups than anybody, and they're very quick to remind you about it. Um, We're still in extra time from... Yeah. They have the most hilarious Dada-esque commentators in all of MLS who don't understand how stoppage time works. Um their fans kind of hate their ownership, which makes you feel more bad for them than, than hate them. But then you uh, remember they had Catamac Blanco on their team, and you're like, oh yeah, I can hate them. I have one word that should be one syllable, but it's actually two syllables. Fire. Fire. <laughs> Fire. And that about sums it up. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> next up is our higher... Higher, higher, higher ranking debutante on the day, and that is that was NYC terrible. FC. It is terrible. <laughs> I admit it. It had to be said out loud, though. We we couldn't just leave it hanging. No. There. It had someone had to acknowledge that that was bad. <laughs> yeah, it, I I completely right. agree. Uh, next up is NYC FC, uh, who make a very strong debut at number six on the hate index. So they come in very unlikable from the start, and they just keep getting less likable. Just ask their fans uh, who, who have had to deal with basically wearing Man City uniforms and, and playing their games at Yankee Stadium instead of in, you know, a soccer stadium. And, and then we have the whole L.L. Lampard issue now where, you know, he wasn't actually under contract with MLS. It turns out he was under contract with the City Football Group, which is the parent organization to 
NYCFC and Man City and Melbourne City, who David Villas, I guess, probably also not on loan to. But Lampard signed a contract with them, and they assigned him to Man City, and then did not unassign him to Man City when he was supposed to go to NYCFC. And Don Garber and MLS just had no recourse whatsoever other than to try to put a positive face on things. So every we can hate NYCFC for the simple reason that they're validating the idea that MLS is less than. And yeah, so... I, mean, the, the... I don't even have an and so. It's just they they are validating all the... Euro snobs' opinions about MLS, and and for that they need to just stop. The thing is, I think what made that so much worse is the, the their mishandling of it once it became clear that, uh, despite the facts that they had claimed they had signed Frank Lampard, they actually never did. Um, he was signed by Manchester City. It turned out all along. Um, and we'll play for them until his contract ends, and then we'll. I guess he's signed a pre-contract. I guess that's how it would work if it was a normal deal that was being dealt with on on the table. Yeah. Well, um, honestly, I think there's an issue of there, there's they're in a weird gray area because it sounds like Lampard signed a contract with the City Football Group, which is the parent well, company to all these right, but that, clubs. That's not how any normal deal would work. I'm no, saying it's not. More, which is why yeah. I think they did it this way, because well, then and, they have flexibility, but it, there might be FIFA third-party ownership that, law, Yeah, that, was, that was my question all along, is how does this not run afoul of FIFA's new push against third-party ownership? Because he's because not it's signed not directly... Owner. But he's not signed directly to a club, so by... Logical definitions would have not, nothing to do with FIFA definitions. It would be third-party ownership. But like I said, FIFA definitions have nothing to do with logic or reality. Yeah. So right. it's it, it. What they're doing is they're they're playing fast and loose with the rules and and confusing everybody and in fact lying to everybody. That's oh, the real yeah. issue. That's, is that the they said is, he was under contract with NYCFC and he wasn't. They're, they're not just playing. They're not just playing fast and loose with MLS rules either. They're just with with all of the soccer rules um, that involve registering players and, and signing players. Um, they may also be using this as a workaround uh, to get around the fair play law that's in, in place in Europe. Um, we, we don't know that for sure, but at this point, you have to assume the worst given the way that they've handled Not just the, the, what they did, but also how they've handled it. Um, members of the New York media that would be covering the team on a regular basis were still like, I haven't heard from New York City FC about this at all. Um, they haven't sent me like a press release to explain what's going on. It's just like, oh, it's mm-hmm. out there, so whatever. Um, so there's a certain uh, incompetence uh, at a bad time that uh, is is hateable because it makes us all look bad. Um, but other than that, I, I don't really, I don't really have an in, instinctual hate towards them. Other than that, um, their jerseys are lame. Um, but I mean, you could say that about a lot of teams in MLS. Um, Yankee Stadium is a garbage soccer venue, so that sucks. Um, I would rather MLS teams play in football stadiums than baseball stadiums. Yeah, if you look at the way the field is going to be laid out at Yankee Stadium, it's it's pretty terrible. Um, yeah, the, it's pretty bad. A lot of the seats are just are are just way too far away. Um, like, if you sit in the 300 section at RFK, you're, like, front row seats in some of the areas of Yankee Stadium. Including um, where the supporters so that's a mess. 
Right. Those supporters um, are going to be behind so goal, but they're in the 200 level behind a goal, which right. is offset at an angle behind the bullpen. It's, yeah. it's bizarre. On the second level. Yeah. It's it's really makes no sense what they're doing at Yankee Stadium. Uh, let's move on to the Houston well, I, Dynamo. I, oh, go I ahead. Do want to add, uh, I, I will say I do, the main thing I hate about New York City at this point is that they have taken Thomas McNamara away from us and we have no recourse other than perhaps kidnapping, which is not off the table. No, now that we I, don't have to build a stadium uh, out of the bricks I have, um, I'll have to find some sort of burlap sack. What uh, I'm thinking is... Not big enough for a man. I'm thinking 90s comedy movie kidnapping. I think there could be something to be had there, especially with McNamara's haircut. So, so you're saying we need a van? Yes, I'm saying we need a van. <laughs> and right. we could use what? a Someone? we could use Someone a long-haired goat. We could use a long-haired goat as a stunt double. What, do we need a stunt double? We might. We're, not, we're kidnapping a man. We're not filming it. We could also film it and then sell that to. Pay we've also we've already the legal fees. Not not leaving unnecessary evidence of of your crimes. So so filming this and having a goat around it just it's too much. Um, let's just focus on kidnapping a player and then finding a way to register him for MLS play, which is our main goal. Let's instead of doing all that, let's now talk about number five on our list, the Houston Dynamo, down a spot from number four last year. Um, I think because we finally you know got a result against them. <laughs> They didn't just own us this year, and and so we hate them a little bit less. I think now that they moved to the Western Conference, they're going to move further down the list in future versions of of this exercise. But they they're still a top five team right now on our hate index. Ben, what are your thoughts on on the orange? I mean, I think at least historically, a lot of the hate is hate due to envy almost they they've been a very successful team historically dom Kinnear is a very good coach uh they knew how to put together a team how to integrate international players things like that but then we could never ever beat them and we could never ever beat them especially in their oven of a brand new stadium they got a brand new stadium in uh, near-ish to the city city center uh well before dc united could uh and so all of these factors uh play in but also, some of the hate has to be the uh, 2012 play- playoffs. Yeah. The, fa- the Phantom uh, Hano red card. Uh, not Phantom. Just the, didn't the, exist and should have been. But. Yeah. Followed by the Hano goal. Right. Exactly. So I think that also plays a large factor. And so it's just a, a, a double whammy of envy and then what the hell. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Uh, Jason, other than Dom Kinnear's style of of making the field as small as possible and and playing a bruising style, even when he has guys like Brad Davis and Boniac Garcia and, the, and Giles Barnes, that there's no reason to play that style. He has the skill to play something else. He still decides. You know, we need to we need to batter them into submission. Other than that. Do you have any other reasons to hit, to hate on Houston? Um, I guess Will Bruin always scores against us. That's not cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well put. Uh, but other than that, I, yeah, there's just uh, 
the stylistic thing was a problem, and, and the fact that they were always beating us was a problem. Um, but uh, now that that's, I mean, they're, they're they've they brought in an Owen Coyle. I I don't think he wants to play the same way. Um, as I don't Dominic know. He's, he he's coming from the English Championship, which that's that true. is that is the way they play there. And that's you know, true. Maybe he brings Stu Holden back to the U.S. and back to Houston because he he managed Holden at Bolton before he was relegated and then fired. This is who Houston's bringing in—a guy who was relegated and fired from the Premier League. Um, you know, but but I, by all accounts, I think he has a good relationship with Holden. Maybe he brings Stu back, and that's a reason not to hate him. But I feel like it's going to be more of the same from him. He's another Scottish guy, just like Kinnear, who likes. To Bruce. Yeah, but but uh, I mean, if you go into the distant past, uh, the people, the first group of people to teach the English that they didn't have to just uh, smash the ball forward and chase it around were the Scots, um, who actually tried to pass to one another occasionally. So um, we shouldn't necessarily assume that Owen Coyle is going to be super negative. The Bolton team he had in the Premier League wasn't that negative. Yeah, um, or wasn't that's that true. unattractive. Um, We'll, so we'll see what he actually does. It just wasn't that good either. Right. Um, you know, which is a different problem and a hard problem to overcome when you're in the Premier League where the amount of money you have does actually indicate what you're going to do um, pretty pretty well. Uh, or at least it indicates which, like, strata you're going to be in. Um, and they were not in the Man City, Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal strata. I guess Liverpool's in there too. Um, but anyway, this isn't a Premier League podcast. Um yeah, uh, I guess the other thing, like, Houston's away uniform is always very, very lame. Um, At least they very having, rarely have to wear it. That's true. They they almost never wear it, um, which is which is nice because it's just awful. Um, it's it's just, not even awful. It's it's so boring, and that's almost worse. Like, if it was an, a genuinely awful shirt, it, it would at least be kind of amusing. Speaking um, of Liverpool. But it's, yeah. Uh, thanks, uh, Warrior uh, Soccer, who is lacrosse. actually a lacrosse company. Yeah. Yeah, they're a lacrosse company. Don't let them fool you. Um, but uh, yeah, that they're they 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 need to do something else other than just wear white, like all white, um, like the opposite of their home jersey. Uh, this is fine. Um, we couldn't I will say think of anything least, else to do essentially. I, I will say it sounds like DC United will be doing something other than all white for for our road kits this year and I'm excited to see what that is. I know there's going to be white involved, but but it sounds right. like there's it's going to be something different, which I'm now intrigued to see. Uh, next up on our list, down from number 2. So so this was a team that finished in the top 2, I think somewhat surprisingly. I I I have them at number 3 on my list, but they're number 4 in the the composite and that is the Philadelphia Union. Um you know, fights and goalkeepers. That's what the union do <laughs> at this point. Although they're trading Zach McMath, and who knows what's going to happen to Raisin Bully uh, this offseason. They, they're a team that, that has decided that what they want to do is collect assets, even if that means caring for goalkeepers and five goalkeepers or however many. 17. And, and, and they want to, at least under Peter Novak, they want to be a team that throws punches more than they score goals. Headbutts. Well, that was us. 
That well, was... yeah, but I'm just, headbutts are involved when you play the Philadelphia Union. Yeah, it was interesting. This was a rivalry that existed somewhat in the stands. Uh, the the fans, for a little, you know, to some extent, obviously, don't like the other team. But the fans uh, from both the Sons of Ben in Philadelphia and the Screaming Eagles, Bar Brava, La Norte, and District Ultras here, they they've kind of actually formed formed a bond over the loss of of members of of these supporters groups over the last few years they have memorial tailgates together and they've, they've gotten to know each other there've been scarf exchanges and it's actually off the field uh, a really respectful rivalry but that doesn't really extend to on the field where where there've been some extracurriculars in this rivalry in recent years which is is actually kind of cool to see. It's it's fun to see the players get really heated, and and the fans obviously while they're in their stands are going to get really heated. But then when the game's over, the fans will go out and have beers together, and it's something you don't really see that much in the rest of the world when it comes to soccer rivalries. But to see the passion followed by the camaraderie is is actually kind of cool. That said, screw the union as a team. Yeah, this is the only rivalry of DC United's that I always expect to end somehow in a ten to nine or nine to nine players on the field at the end of the at the end of the game. That's just the way that the there's always a red card in these games. Oh, this year, this year it was tamed down a little bit in 2014. Yeah, we need to amp that back up. All right, well maybe maybe that happens in 2015. That's a New Year's resolution that Ben has for us. Yeah, amp it back up, guys. It certainly helped that the Union had so many of their own problems this year that uh, there wasn't really even a reason to get into a fight with them because they were probably trying to figure out who, should they fight someone within their own ranks? Uh, should they fight <laughs> their coaching staff? It, no one no one knew who to fight. Um, so they didn't know whether they should be trying to get into a fight with us or not, and it makes it easy to not fight them as a, as a result. Next up on our list... Up three spots from number six, that the big gainers at, at the top of the list is the team that I think we have to say invented hate. <laughs> if you ask them, they invented hate. They invented MLS. They invented soccer support. Hell, they green. invented soccer and green, green and blue and black and neon yellow and neon green and super cyan. Let and us regu- not forget and regu- super cyan. Regu- and regular cyan. And also regular cyan. Of course... <laughs> to have super cyan, you have to have invented regular cyan. Naturally. Or unnaturally. <laughs> as the case may be. Because I'm pretty sure those colors don't occur in nature. We're, of course, talking about the Seattle Sounders, uh, with whom DC United fans have had some beef since the Sounders' inaugural year when they came in, uh, waving their attendance champion flags and and saying... Lots of things that they didn't understand the meaning of when they first came into the league and talking about attendance and, and the U.S. Open Cup, which, of course, they, they, they won at RFK Stadium over a Montero stopping Josh Wicks and the rest of D.C. United. But, you know, for, from that, there's been there's been some passion, and Seattle is not well-liked. They're up from number six last year. Like I said, they're the big gainers in hate in 2014. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they finally figured out how to spend their money in such a way as to win league hardware, which they'd never done before. They, they'd won the U.S. Open Cup, but they'd never won anything in the league 
This year they won the Supporter Shield. Obviously they couldn't get to MLS Cup. The Galaxy took care of that. But they they did finally win some league silverware. And, and I think that's a big part of why they're number three on this list. Yeah, I... I guess it's it's got to be mostly down to just the arrogance of the fan base, though. Um, because there's other teams in position. Right. Um, I actually don't find them any more hateable now than they were before. Um, since in the years that have passed since the Open Cup, it's kind of gone on the back burner because there's been some other things happening closer to home. Um, I mean, I, I guess I don't really like... Uh, Let's see. I know there Kevin are some Price fans. Who, upsetting. There, there are um, some fans who don't like Clint Dempsey. Um, okay. Despite his his exploits for the U.S. Men's National Team, he's he's not a particularly enjoyable player to watch if you're not a f- fan of the team he's on. He he, I don't know. He's got a certain arrogance about him which is great if he's on your team, but it's really easy to dislike if, if he's not. And I think that might be, that might be a part of it because they were a fun team to watch. If, but they, they scored a lot of goals this year. They scored some really phenomenal goals. Obafemi Martin's one goal of the year. But there, there's their fans and there's... More hate Chad Marshall beating out Bobby Boswell, despite, despite any deservedness or non-deservedness. Yeah, he, he won Defender of the Year for the league this year. I mean, Siggy Schmidt is pretty easy to hate. Um, just going all the way back to when he was with the Galaxy um, and then with the crew as well, there's always... Uh, Siggy Schmidt has a real way of saying... Th- I don't know, maybe if this is just me, but some of the things he says in the press just are extremely irritating to me because he'll say things that are clearly not based in fact. Um, he'll say, you know, if his team was playing defensive all game long, he'll insist that, oh, we dominated the game. And it's like, with it, that, that's not even, like, n- there's no way you could argue that that was true. You're just saying things at this point just to, um, I don't know, make yourself feel better. Uh, you can't be this dumb, so you know what you're doing. Um, he can't have had the success he's had as a coach and then say that and believe it. Um, and I assume you're referring especially to the Sounders' game at RFK this year, which they won one to nothing after defending for about 80 of Wait, the 90 minutes. But he didn't, he never said they dominated that game. Um, okay. That's good. There's just, there's just, Siggy Schmidt has a long history in the past of, of either stretching the truth or uh, over exaggerating or just outright making things up um, when it serves his purposes in the press. And it's sort of transparent. Um, he's one of the few coaches, a lot of coaches in MLS don't, they really play the press. Um, the best way I can think about it is in football manager, you usually get five options, and the middle option is the, like, I don't want to answer this question answer. You just, it's sort of like saying pass. Um, a lot of MLS coaches would just say pass over and over again. Siggy Schmidt will take the extreme high or low answer, even when it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't have any bearing in reality. Um, and maybe that's how he thinks it's working. I hope he's not succeeding despite playing uh, – uh, real life as if it were football manager because it's not that that's not how things work. Um, also, he's wearing a scarf all the time, which is dumb. Um, <laughs> most of the time, like the majority of the time, it's not cold enough for a scarf. Um, I, I'm trying. To, I, I guess the made up colors are irritating, or or more accurately, 
uh, Seattle's enthusiastic acceptance of the made-up color. Um, you know, when when Adidas tells you that some color has a silly name, you don't have to accept that. You you can just say, "Oh, it's just neon green. It's fine. We already have a name for that. I don't need to go along with you on this nonsense." Uh, but Sounders fans are are really really excited about calling their color, you know, rave green or it's um, actually something they invented, so they have to own it. I guess so, but it's it's still not even really their invention. It's Adidas's invention, and uh, that's true. Adidas and you is know down where the Adidas road. is based. Yeah, outside exactly. Right, it's it's USA it, anyway it, is based outside of Portland, which is a little fun bit of irony for Seattle to have to deal with. Right, um, but but I, I guess I guess a lot of uh, I know a lot of our readers came in in the year or two before the Open Cup, and, and for a lot of them, that Open Cup is a real sticking point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and every fan's experience is different. I personally didn't find that losing that Open Cup to be so distasteful uh, as as a lot of our readers did. But, you know, I've, I've got my own... Obviously, I've got my own things that I'm salty about that are sort of out of left field, so I can't really say that they're incorrect. It's just... To me, it's a different experience. To me, it was like, well, that team, that United team, probably didn't deserve any trophies. So there we are. Um, and also, you know, our goalkeeper stomped the guy in that game. That's that's kind of hard to defend. Um, I, but I, I, if you're, if you're that, just I will coming say, into it, I could see being. Go ahead. Uh, Wicks obviously shouldn't have stopped it, but Montero did take a cheap shot on Wicks right before that happened, and it's never the right. initial foul. It's always the retaliation that gets caught. Wicks was a hothead. He was a crazy person, and he yes. got caught being a crazy person with a short fuse. Montero knew... I don't know if Montero knew he had a short fuse or not, but Montero set him up for that pretty well. Right, but... Anyway. Yeah. The top two teams on our list should surprise Absolutely nobody. Uh, I think they they are two teams that both newer fans and longtime fans will agree on belong at the top of this list. Uh, We'll start with number two, and and that's the LA Galaxy uh, MLS Cup champs and first to five and all that nonsense. Uh, They get all the breaks, and yet they still have fewer trophies than DC United. So we're going to just go with that, I think. Right now, They're, they've they've already made uh, plenty of effort to try and pretend that DC's thirteenth trophy doesn't actually count as thirteen. That's true. Um, which is a pretty terrible thing for LA to be doing, and you should go disrespect them if if not if not for anything else, but for that. Um, they, if they want to be bold about being the best team in the league and they want to claim all these trophies, they should be honest about the fact that they've still haven't done it yet. Um, you shouldn't. You don't get to take shortcuts to winning, and that's one of the only things you can say for the Galaxy is that they haven't taken shortcuts to get to their trophies. They've won them uh, the hard way a lot of times. They've been usually, other than the Pando Ramirez against the Revs year, uh, they were usually among the better teams. They deserved their spot at, at the top as much as it was irritating to see them up there. There are no um, Colorado so Rapids years in their history. Right. Um, so you, they shouldn't be trying to take a shortcut to uh, most trophies this way in the way that they've tried to do. So that that's pretty terrible and, and cowardly of them, which no one likes a coward. Um, so that's the Galaxy are a bunch of cowards is what I'm saying, all, all of them, um, including including the ones you may have liked in the past. It doesn't matter, coward. 
<laughs> they put on the that all white kit and they just become lily livered. Right, they're they're cheats and they're liars. Ben, anything to add? Screw those guys. All right, top of our list. There could only be one team at the top of our list of hate, and that, of course, is the Metros, the New York Red Bulls, who need no introduction and don't need me to expound upon their hateability. They're just bad, stupid jerks. They're the worst. They're the worst. Again, screw those guys. All right, let's turn our attention now to happier things like the Twitter box. And we'll end this show with a quick Twitter box uh, because, wow, we had a lot to say about hate, didn't we? <laughs> We've gone yeah, really, really that. long. Ben, you also, might have to split this into two episodes. There are. That's true. We had 20 teams to talk about because we even talked about Chivas. Miss you, Chivas. No. All right, let's turn to our Twitter box. First question comes from Tony Harrison, who is at TNY Harrison on Twitter. He asks us, at FilibusterDCU, what needs do we need to address at the draft? Um, We're actually going to talk about that next week. We're going to have Travis Clark on from Top Door Soccer, his annual appearance on our show. So we're going to hold off on that till next week. He also asks if any of us are going up to Philly for the draft next week. I'm not going to be able to make it. I don't know about you guys. Nope. Uh, outside chance. Okay. Probably, probably so, not an outside chance. Jason might be there. There will be certainly other DC United fans. We might have someone else from Black and Red United make the trip up there. Um, I know there will be media up there from DC, but I, I don't know that we'll be able to make the trip. Next question comes from Ted the Ted Meyer, at Ted D. Meyer on Twitter, who asks us, at filibuster DCU, the suggestion was floated by some to give Bill Hamid a designated player contract to keep him around here longer. Is that a good idea? Jason, should DC United use a DP slot and the the salary cap space that, that goes with it on a goalkeeper? I, I mean, the thing is, it's not so much about position uh, to me as Hamid's ambitions are to be at the very top of the soccer room. That's that he's a driven guy. He wants to be as good of a player as he possibly can, and MLS isn't at that level. And I don't think giving him a designated player deal is going to change that or or keep him here for any longer than he already would be. Um, the other side of that is that when offers come in, and he's under contract for for longer. It's not just this year, and that's it. Um, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's I think 2015 might be his last season under contract. Okay. I mean, at that point you you probably have to offer him a designated player deal just to even come to the table and not embarrass yourself. Um but you know, that might be an, a a reason to actually end up selling this offseason as much as I'd hate to say it. Yeah, I think uh, I think the fact that this is the last of... Go ahead. Uh, I mean, there's just there's a lot of money on the table and if he leaves for free, uh, there's no money on the table. Um, so you, you don't even have the ability to go out and find a top goalkeeper and replace him using money by paying a transfer fee or what have you. Um, he's just gone, and, and that's that. Um, and it's not like we have a, you know, Andrew Dykstra's a pretty decent goalkeeper. We don't have the next Bill Hamid on, on the roster or in the academy by any account. Um so I, I guess you kind of have to – if he's truly out of contract the end of, at the end of 2015, you have you pretty much have to offer him 
uh, a, a big deal, um, but you also have to be prepared for the fact that he might not accept it. Um, not because it's not generous enough, but because this is his chance to go go abroad and, and try and take the world as he wants to do. Yeah, I think that's that's more likely, and that's that's why he might go. The, he's been drawing interest from English and Italian clubs, according to the Washington Post. Steve Goff, this off season, I think he's probably gone this off season or this summer, um, which is really sad for me to say because I want to see him around here basically forever. But I, I don't know that that's that's in the cards, and you know, Bill's going to do what he needs to do for him, and that's entirely reasonable and respectable and you know wherever he is dc or somewhere else in the world i'm going to be rooting for him really really hard because he's our guy final question tonight comes from eric fox who is at sir fox a lot sir spelled s-e-r like the ice and fire books by george R. R. martin i uh, asks has silva really not done enough for a camp spot this January. He uh, is asking, I think, because of word that Bill Hamid, Perry Kitchen, and Steve Birnbaum are all going to receive invites to the U.S. Men's National Team January camp this month, uh, while, while Luis Silva is, is nowhere to be found on that list. Ben, do you think Silva is a snub on this? I mean, it obviously depends on who else Jurgen calls in, but... I think you could probably consider him a minor snub, sure, but he's not as young as those other guys, and this is his first year really showing this well. I mean, obviously it's Burn Mom's first year showing this well, too, but he's just out of college, whereas Silva's been in the league a couple of years, albeit on some pretty hideously awful teams. But it may just, I mean... Clint Dempsey is ahead of him in that position that he wants to play, and then there are other players in the mix for that spot too. So, yeah, Silva, yeah. he's not an old player. He's twenty six. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, no, but but he's not a twenty two, twenty three year old just coming into the league. Um, and this was his first really good year. He scored more goals this year than he had in his entire MLS career put together. Yeah. Um, and, and that was despite having some really good flashes for Toronto FC and having a wonderful first three games for DC United last year before he caught whatever disease the rest of the team had. Um, I, 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 I'm not surprised that he, he didn't get a call-up. I didn't expect him to this January. I think if he has another year like he did in 2014 this year, he could end up either in the January camp or or in a... I guess at that point we're talking about actually 2016 isn't going to be an anything year for us. I guess there's the Copa, the the Centenario that could happen, and right. maybe he ends up uh, somewhere on the outskirts of that team if he has another really big year for DC United. But I, I think he just falls into a weird place where there's he doesn't really fit Jurgen Klinsmann's system, and he's not necessarily of the right age anymore, kind of like Chris Pontius, who just kind of missed his window to get worked into the team. Of course, we were all saying the same thing about Lee Wynn, so you never know. Right. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, if you have yeah, another I, I, season, it could all change. Right, and, and 
like with, with Pontius as well, sometimes timing is important uh, going both ways. You know, if you get injured at the wrong time, it takes your chance away. Um, maybe someone else gets injured and Silva is the guy that gets called in. Klinsman has obviously thrown some curveballs, to, to say the least, um, with with some of his selections. Uh, it, it could be that uh, Klinsman decides that he needs to give all of his forward spots to USL players or guys in the PDL just to uh, make some sort of bizarre statement, uh, whatever he's up to uh, when he does the things he does. Um, at this point, I've kind of given up trying to understand Jurgen Klinsmann. I think he might be uh, not a mad genius, but actually just a madman. Um, uh, sometimes he gets things right, but oftentimes he, he just sort of does whatever he wants, and regardless of right or wrong, it's just about attitude and, and buzzwords and confidence um, rather than like actually implementing structural changes that make sense or making a, a lineup that makes sense. Um, and, and then the players sort of have to overcome that. Um, so when it comes to calling in a guy like Silva, you almost expect to find some guy that doesn't deserve that spot to get called in instead. Um, we've already seen, you know, Gideon Salam wasn't called in for the under 20 World Cup uh, qualifying group. So you have to assume that that, and there was no word that Arsenal said no to that. Well, I think it's because his paperwork hasn't been finalized with FIFA yet. They put in the application okay. for one time switch, but I don't know that it's been processed. And also, okay. it's it's only it's only a couple of weeks away, and trying to integrate him that quickly is a little iffy. Well, see, but, but what I was thinking was that they were going to uh, not call him to the under twenties, so they could pull him in for the full national team for the camp in uh, just a couple of weeks, and say, "Oh, this is what we planned all along." It's definitely um, and possible. It's also entirely possible, yes. Right. Um, and and that's kind of the, the world of having Klinsman as coach, is that these are all things that could happen because there could be some sort of bizarre uh, statement that you have to read between the lines to figure out. Uh, that and, and what you read might not actually may, mean anything or make any sense. He's also going to call in a career player from the PDL just to t- kind of say that MLS isn't good enough. Right. Um but, but meanwhile, Sasha Kleshin, uh playing in the Champions League, he's not. Sasha Kleshin isn't even waiting for his phone to ring on this one, and we all know it. Yeah, um, he stopped I asking, think, "Are you even watching?" A while ago. Right, um, and and so the the puzzlement by every for for everyone and by everyone continues. Hooray! And you know, for a show premised on hate, we're going to end on confusion. Thank you all so much for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu or at blackandredu. Uh, send your hate mail or any other correspondence to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find our show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, uh, and Lord knows where else. Mostly, please tell a friend about us um, if you enjoyed the show. That's it. We'll talk to you next week when we will have Travis Clark on to help us preview what looks like one of the weaker MLS super drafts in recent memory. So it should be another fun and uplifting show. (laughs) We'll talk to you then. For Jason and Adam, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.